Chapter Ten of Unknown to History by Charlotte Mary Young. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tanika, Madison, Alabama. The Lady Arbel. After several weary months of languishing, Charles Stuart was saved from the miseries which seemed the natural inheritance of his name by sinking into his grave. His funeral was conducted with the utmost magnificence though the Earl of Shrewsbury declined to be present at it, and shortly after the Countess intimated her purpose of returning to Sheffield, bringing with her the little orphan, Lady Arabella Stuart. Orders came that the best presence-chamber in the manor-house should be prepared, the same indeed where Queen Mary had been quartered before the lodge had been built for her use. The Earl was greatly perturbed. "'Whom can she intend to bring?' he went about asking. "'If it be the Lady Margaret,' "'It will be as much as my head were worth to admit her within the same grounds as this queen.' "'There is no love lost between the mother-in-law and daughter-in-law,' observed his son Gilbert in a conciliatory tone. "'Little good would that do to me, if it once came to the heirs of her grace and the Lord Treasurer that both had been my guests. And if I had to close the gates, though in no other way could I save my life and honour, your mother would never forget it. It would be cast up to me for ever.' "'What think you, daughter Talbot?' "'Mayhap,' said Dame Mary, "'my lady mother has had a hint to make ready for her majesty herself, "'who hath so often spoken of seeing the Queen of Scots, "'and might think well to take her unawares.' "'This was a formidable suggestion. "'Say you so!' cried the poor earl, with an alarm in his eye, "'would never have betrayed, had Palmer himself been within a march of Sheffield. "'Then we are fairly spent!' I am an impoverished man, eaten out of house and lands as it is, and were the queen herself to come, I might take it once to the beggar's bowl. But think of the honour, good my lord, cried Mary. Think of all Hallamshire coming to do her homage. Oh, how I should laugh to hear the mayor stumbling over his address. Laugh, I, growled the earl, and how will you laugh when there is not a deer left in the park, nor an ox in the stalls? Nay, my lord, interposed Gilbert. There is no fear of Her Majesty's coming. That post from Madame de la Montsevier reported her at Greenwich only five days back, and it would take Her Majesty a far longer time to make her progress than yonder fellow who will tell you himself that she had no thoughts of moving. That might only be a feint to be the more sudden with us, said his wife, actuated in part by the diversion of alarming her father-in-law and in part really fired by the hope of such an effectual enlivenment of the dullness of Sheffield. They were all in full family conclave drawn up in the hall for the reception, and Mistress Susan, who could not bear to see the Earl so perplexed and anxious, ventured to say that she was quite sure that my Lady Countess would have sent warning forward if indeed she were bringing home such a guest, and at that moment the blare of trumpets announced that the cavalcade was approaching. The start which the Earl gave showed how much his nerves had become affected by his years of custody. Up the long avenue they came, with all the state with which the Earl had conducted Queen Mary to the lodge before she was absolutely termed a prisoner. Hal Bediers led the procession. Horse and foot seemed to form it. The home party stood on the top of the steps watching with much anxiety. There was a closed litter visible, beside which Lady Shrewsbury, in a morning dress and hood, could be seen riding her favourite bay palfrey. No doubt it contained the Lady Margaret, Countess of Lennox, and the unfortunate Earl, forgetting all his stately dignity, stood uneasily moving from leg to leg and pulling his long beard, 
torn between the instincts of hospitality and of loyal obedience between fear of his wife and fear for the queen the litter halted at the foot of the steps the earl descended all he saw was the round face of an infant in his nurse's arms and he turned to help his wife from the saddle but she waved him aside my son gilbert would aid me my lord said she your devoirs to the princess poor lord shrewsbury his apologies on his tongue looked into the litter where he saw the well-known and withered countenance of the family nurse he also beheld a buxom young female whose dress marked her as a peasant but before he had time to seek further for the princess the tightly rolled chrysalis of a child was thrust into his astonished arms while the round face puckered up instantly with terror at sight of his bearded countenance and he was greeted with a loud yell he looked helplessly round and his lady was ready at once to relieve him my precious my sweetheart my jewel did he look sour at her and frighten her with his ugsome beard and the like endearments common to grandmothers in all ages but where is the princess where where should she be but here her grandam's own precious royal queenly little darling and as a fresh cry broke out yes yes she sailed to her presence chamber usher her gilbert bess's brat muttered dame mary in ineffable disappointment curiosity and the habit of obedience to the countess carried the entire troop on to the grand apartments on the south side where queen mary had been lodged while the fiction of her guestship had been kept up lady shrewsbury was all the time trying to hush the child who was quite old enough to be terrified by new faces and new scenes and who was besides tired and restless in her swaddling bands for which she was so nearly too old that she had only been kept in them for greater security upon the rough and dangerous roads great was my lady's indignation on reaching the state-rooms on finding that no nursery preparations had been made and her daughter mary with a giggle hardly repressed by awe of her mother stood forth and said why verily my lady we expected some great dame my lady margaret or my lady hunsdon at the very least when you spoke of a princess and who should it be but one who has both the royal blood of england and scotland in her veins you have not saluted the child to whom you have the honour to be akin mary on your knee minion i tell you she hath as good or a better chance of wearing a crown as any woman in england she hath a far better chance of prison muttered the earl if all this foolery goes on what what is that what are you calling these honours to my orphan princess cried the lady but the princess herself here broke in with the lustiest of squalls and susan who was sorry for the child contrived to insert an entreaty that my lady would permit her to be taken at once to the nursery chamber that had been made ready for her and let her there be fed warmed and undressed at once there was something in the quality of susan's voice to which people listened and the present necessity overcame the countess's desire to assert the dignity of her granddaughter so she marched out of the room attended by the women while the earl and his sons were only too glad to slink away there is no other word for it their relief as to the expected visitor having been changed for consternation of another description there was a blazing fire ready and all the baby comforts of the time provided and poor little lady arbel was relieved from her swaddling bands and allowed to stretch her little limbs on her nurse's lap the one rest really precious to babes of all periods and conditions but troubles were not yet over for the grandmother glancing around demanded where is the cradle inlaid with pearl why was it not provided bring it here 
Now this cradle, carved in cedar-wood and inlaid with mother-of-pearl, had been a sponsor's gift to poor little George, the first male heir of the Talbots, and it was regarded as a special treasure by his mother, who was both wounded and resentful at the demand, and stood pouting and saying, "'It was my son's! It is mine!' "'It belongs to the family! You!' to two of the servants. "'Fetch it here instantly!' The ladies of Hardwick race were not guarded in temper or language, and Mary burst into passionate tears and exclamations that Bess's brat should not have her lost George's cradle, and flounced away to get before the servants and lock it up. Lady Shrewsbury would have sprung after her and have made no scruple of using her fists and nails even on her married daughter, but that she was impeded by a heavy table, and this gave time for Susan to throw herself before her and entreat her to pause. "'You, you, Susan Talbot, you should know better than to take the part of an undutiful, foul-tongued vixen like that. Out of my way, I say!' And, as Susan, still on her knees, held the riding-dress, she received a stinging box on the air. But in her maiden days she had known the weight of my lady's hand, and without relaxing her hold she only entreated, "'Hear me, hear me for a little space, my lady. Did you but know how sore her heart is, and how she loved little Master George?' "'That is no reason she should flout and miscall her dead sister, of whom she was always jealous.' "'Oh, madam, she wept with all her heart for poor Lady Lennox. It is not any evil, but she sets such store by that cradle in which her child died. She keeps it by her bed even now, and her woman told me how, for all she seems gay and blithe by day, she weeps over it at night as if her heart would break.' Lady Shrewsbury was a little softened. "'The child died in it?' she asked. "'Yea, madam, he had been on his father's knee, and had seemed a little easier, and as if he might sleep. So Sir Gilbert laid him down, and he did but stretch himself out, shiver all over, draw a long breath, and the pretty lamb was gone to paradise. "'You saw him, Susan?' "'Yea, madam. Dame Mary sent for me, but none could be of any aid where it was the will of heaven to take him.' "'If I had been there,' said the countess, I, who have brought up eight children and lost none, I should have saved him. So he died in yonder cedar cradle. Well, Ian, let Mary keep it. It may be that there is infection in the smell of the cedar wood, and that the child will sleep better out of it. It is too late to do aught this evening, but to-morrow the child shall be lodged as befits her birth in the presence chamber. Ah, madam, said Susan, would it be well for the sweet babe if her majesty's messengers— who be so often at the castle, were to report her so lodged. I have a right to lodge my grandchild where and how I please in my own house. Yea, madam, that is most true. But you wot how the queen treats all who may have any claim to the throne in future times, and were it reported by any of the spies that are ever about us, how royal honours were paid to the little lady Arbel, might she not be taken from your ladyship's wardship, and bestowed with those who would not show her such a loving care?' The countess would not show whether this had any effect on her, or else some sound made by the child attracted her. It was a puny little thing, and she had a true grandmother's affection for it, apart from her absurd pride and ambition, so that she was glad to hold counsel over it with Susan, who had done such justice to her training as to be, in her eyes, a mother who had sense enough not to let her children waste and die, a rare merit in those days, and one that Susan could not disclaim, though she knew that it did not properly belong to her. 
Cis had stood by all the time like a little statue, for no one, not even young Lady Talbot, durst sit down uninvited in the presence of Earl or Countess. But her black brows were bent, her grey eyes intent. "'Mother,' she said, as they went home on their quiet mules, "'are great ladies always so rudely spoken to one another?' "'I have not seen many great ladies, sis, and my Lady Countess has always been good to me.' Antony said that the Scots Queen and her ladies never storm at one another like my lady and her daughters. "'Open words do not always go deep, sis,' said the mother. "'I had rather know and hear the worst at once.' And then her heart smote her as she recollected that she might be implying censure of the girl's true mother, as well as defending wrath and passion, and she added, "'Be that as it may, it is a happy thing to learn to refrain the tongue.'" End of chapter 10 Recording by Tanika Madison, Alabama.